The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, just like a Murillo Crossfield ball. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win? Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery free in terms of apply, see mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Red Side of the Trent. Thankfully, it is the last international break before March, much to the delight of many football fans. No Lee Clark on this one, but myself, Reese Lane and Christian Brown are delighted to welcome fellow Reds fan and voice of Nottingham. It's BBC Radio Nottingham's match day commentator, Mr Colin Frey. Are you well, Colin? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you very much for joining us. Um Obviously, international break is a little bit of a lull for many football fans. What what do you get up to during the international break? Is it does your time get filled a lot more than hours? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, covering forest is not the only part of my job, so everything else apart from forest really sort of carries on as normal. So um, obviously, I get the odd day here or there where there's no football, no Saturday, for instance, um, which is good. So it's a slight change in the way. The week works I'll often and, and we often in the office will try and get a little bit of a um, little bit of downtime if we can, a bit like the players, I suppose, um, during international break. Um, if we've uh, if we've got any leave left, might try and use a bit of that. Um, but generally it just carries on. I mean, you know, the, the sports coverage across the radio station carries on as normal. Um, Notts County and Mansfield carry on as normal um, and uh, and their games carry on. So we've you know, we still have a an hour long sport program every night, plus the the coverage of Knotts and Mansfield as well whenever they're playing. So, um, there's there's plenty to keep me busy, even though there's uh, there's no forest for a couple of weeks. Yeah, you don't have to dwell on the the three two loss to West Ham for as long, I guess, in that sort of circumstance. But uh, now you've been nearly commentating on Forest for thirty three years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, and not yes, to make you right. feel like. Don't make, I don't want to make you feel your age or anything, Colin, but that's longer <laughs> than any of us have been alive. But um, can you tell us about growing up as a Reds fan and how you actually ended up with arguably the best job in the world? <laughs> well, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my childhood was a bit different. I, I uh, travelled around Europe a little bit uh, with uh, my dad's job. Um, so I wasn't really close to Nottingham for very much of it. I was born near Nottingham, um, but then moved away. Had uh, Amongst other places around the UK, also had three years in Norway, five years in Germany, um, which was basically that five years was basically my secondary schooling um was was out there so um it was it was a question really of following forest from afar for for most of my childhood um and just getting back on rare occasions whenever i could um just to go and see the odd game whenever i was somewhere close to nottingham if we you know if we were back visiting relatives or whatever um then uh, and then managed to to go and take in the odd game um and that was as i say that was really till i left secondary school um, and then moved back to the area and for a few years between leaving school and getting the job um, for a few years I was a season ticket holder in uh, in various places in the city ground um, I remember having a, a, a season ticket in the Trent end for a couple of seasons when it was the old Trent end when it was standing and the old cow shed of a Trent end um, which was great had a season ticket one year in the uh in the um in a, i think it might have been a block actually it was really near the front it was either a or b um but it was really near the front so if it was a block i kind of wasn't in the thick of it <laughs> um so i had uh, I had a season ticket there one year and and then the um the work started to come in on a freelance basis first of all and then um on a full-time basis too but in terms of following forest um, through my childhood, it was basically the radio and it was the world service for much, for much of it. Um, and obviously radio two in the old days, if I was, if I was in. And just going back that far, they rarely did commentary, um, on, uh, on, on anything, on, on any forest, uh, on any football games, um, uh, because it, it wasn't really a thing. Um, in the early days of local radio. So um, very much reliant on national radio and the World Service to uh, to keep us in touch because, of course, in those days as well, there were very rarely any any TV coverage of anything um, apart probably from, uh, I think I remember watching the European Cup finals live and that was probably about the only live football you ever got. Even the rounds leading up to it were, were only on like sports night or midweek sports special on the telly sort of 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night after the news had finished um and uh and and so it was special treat if you're allowed to stay up for that so very much it was radio and i, and I guess that's kind of where radio got instilled in me and, and where my passion for radio came from i mean I, re I read something that you'd um to get into radio nottingham you'd won a competition but i don't know if, if that's mm. true or not um yeah it is yeah so like and obviously your first game is Chelsea at home. Didn't we beat them seven nil or something like that's a whirlwind yeah. from 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 <laughs> then to, to where we've got to now, obviously. But um what what was that like as a first experience? And you must have thought, well, this is gonna be brilliant every every week then. <laughs> I suppose I knew enough about football to know it wasn't going to be like it every week. Um, <laughs> I've been following Forest long enough to know it wasn't going to be like every week. Um, no, it was uh, it, it was it was incredible, really, to to start in that way. Um, first, for, it was my second match reporting for Radio Nottingham. I'd done um, having having won the competition. I was named the uh, the amateur sports commentator of the year across the country in 1991. 
Um, and that's the winning of that competition because it was it was kind of um, it was a it was a sponsored thing in those days. But the BBC were involved in it, um, and because of that, they got in touch with Radio Nottingham and said, "Look, you might want to know this guy's just won our competition." So that's kind of how they that's how I sort of became known to Radio Nottingham. And they gave me an FA Vars match first up between Hinkley Athletic and Hucknall, um, which was uh, in about the January or February, probably the January, I think. Um, and then nothing much followed after that. I was doing a bit of ice hockey, I think. That was probably about, well, it came a bit later, I think, 1992. Um, so I'm having to dredge the memory banks here a little bit. Um, so I uh, did that first game, then didn't hear anything for, for a couple of months. And then the phone rang one Thursday or Friday, something like that. It wasn't very much notice. Um, and Martin, who was the boss then, uh, the sports editor at Radio Nottingham, said, uh, got another game for you. Do you fancy doing Forest Chelsea at the weekend? Yeah, OK. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, did that. And then obviously they, uh, again, it was, um, it, was, we, we, it was before... We were doing commentary on every game. Um, so what you used to do in those days was if the team was at home, you used to do what's called off-air commentary. So you do commentary, but onto a tape so they could edit highlights out back in the studio and play goals in whenever the goals happened. But the commentary was from the away game, whether Forest or Notts County were away from home, it would be the away game that got commentary. Of course, these days we do them both and we split frequencies and, and we can do those and Mansfield as well. So um, things have moved on a little bit now, but in those days, that's the way it happened. So I was doing off-air commentary and then they came to me every time there was a goal scored. Um, and to tell you how long ago it was, this gives you an idea of how long ago it was. The other thing that sticks in my mind, apart from obviously Forrest winning 7-0 from that day, is that there was no national radio reporter there. Um, so radio two probably I have to check my history might have been five by then but whoever it was um uh, whatever guys they were in in terms of covering the sport didn't send a reporter so you kind of think about that now that you know five live as it is now um and talk sport as well obviously now with the independent station um doing it in those days it was just the bbc nationally um you imagine them not sending a reporter to a premier league football match um I know it wasn't Premier League, but it was First Division, and it was only a, one, a couple of seasons before the Premier League came in. And they didn't send they didn't send reporters. They just picked and chose their games and, and, and didn't send reporters to every match. So kind of seems amazing now that that would be the case. But to cut a long story short, I got a phone call while I was at the ground um, on, a, on a proper phone, handset, next to my kit to work on the radio. So no mobiles. Um, and uh, and Radio 2 or 5, again, I can't remember which one it was, um, they wanted me to go on Sports Report and talk about the fact that Forrest had won 7-0. So because they didn't have a reporter there, then this big story was happening. that It was an incredible scoreline. They thought they needed to cover it, so they got me on. So first day working for Radio Nottingham, or first day doing professional football for Radio Nottingham, also ended up on national radio talking about Forrest winning 7-0. So it was quite the start. Yeah, not too bad. Well, Reese will probably bring you that back down to a humbling <laughs> beginning of League One now, because that's what we were talking before, weren't we, Reese, about like going to Weymouth and Yedding and places yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah um, because we could talk for hours. We kind of got to limit some of the questions out, but I just wanted to take you back to League One. I mean, because that's kind of the bottom of the barrel, and we're going to build up to where we are now. I mean, 
what are your like memories of League One? And like Adam said, them away days at the likes of Weymouth and Salisbury and Chester, yeah. I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for some of those memories. Um, uh, I think did we yeah, did, did we draw at Weymouth or did did they get a draw at the they, city? They, yeah, they drew at the city. And then we had to go down there and do a replay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I just even it sends shudders, doesn't it? That Chester it does, game, yeah. Uh, yeah. which was FA Cup. I think under Gary Megson, yes, and we lost three 0 I mean, that has to go down as one of the all-time lows. Um, that was horrendous. I also remember at the time. Um, I mean, obviously, in terms of the league football, it, it wasn't too bad because they were always up there and challenging and getting results. I do remember Brian Lawsey's Scunthorpe coming to the City Ground and stuffing Forest four yeah. nil, um, which Lawsey remembers quite well as well. <laughs> um, but uh, and uh, but the other one. So, but you know, apart from the odd hiccup like that, I mean, generally they're at the right end of the table. Um, obviously, got to the playoffs the first year. That Yeovil game was horrendous, um, and then obviously got promoted the following season. So, um, in terms of league football, most of it was okay. I mean, it was some of them were were not the best venues, and it it wasn't the most exciting football perhaps to watch. But at least Forest were winning a lot of league games. One of them that really sticks in my mind from that era is. That Forest were in the what you know what's now called the Bristol Street Motors, the the yeah. um, the EFL L- trophy. Yeah, LDV vans, I think it was. The LDV then, vans, maybe. and and in certainly in one of the seasons that Forest were in it, they decided to invite non-league clubs as well. They decided to invite some um, probably Blue Square Bet Premier clubs, as it was <laughs> yeah. in those days, but conference sides. And um, we went to Woking and lost three two. <laughs> Yeah. Woking on a Tuesday night in the LDV vans, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was a long old trip home that night for sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, not long after that, I suppose. Obviously, when we eventually got promoted, which I'm sure was like it's been a pretty momentous day for everyone concerned, no less than yourself, of course. But Obviously, the the, um, the wave of euphoria, shall we say, didn't last very long in the championship. And obviously, we got that win over Watford with um, Watford? yeah, with Calderwood. I think Nathan Tyson got the win. I seem to remember. And um, but then, yeah, obviously, probably went a dismal, dismal, dismal run. And uh, not long after that, the game or well, in came, sorry, probably one of the most controversial figures in Forest history, Billy Davis. Um, obviously, at, at the beginning, it was pretty great. You Forest were winning near enough every week, like, like you just described. Mm-hmm. But what was your relationship like with him? And um, so obviously, I know towards the end, especially in the second spell, it was a bit more frosty, shall we say, with the media. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was... Um, well, we, we went through it. Let's put it that way. Um the first time Billy was at the club, he was as helpful to me as pretty much any manager has ever been um, during the uh, during the course of the time he was there. Um, he 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 was he was a bit of a, a throwback to previous times with with managers um, because in the very old days, and this this really goes back to before I started, um, because it, it never really happened apart from with Billy. Um, but in the very old days, uh, probably before mobile phones and well, it would have been before mobile phones, um, quite often with local reporters, um, football managers would just give you their number 
and you have a very close personal relationship with the manager. I'm told this is, you know, this is this is before my time. It's before the time of, as I say, mobile phones. It's before the time of um, uh, press officers and everything kind of going through a press office within a football club. Um, uh, but to get stories on local radio and stories in the local paper, because there was no sort of filter of a media office or a press office or a press officer, um, the kind of local reporters, whether they be radio, whether they be uh, newspapers had to have a means of communication have to have a way of of getting in touch with with the manager so i digress that's kind of a bit of ancient history that's how things used to work and it's how um, managers used to get their messages across and and stuff like that um and and how reporters became close to to football clubs in the old days probably closer than they ever are nowadays because they're kept a little bit at arm's length by press offices and and uh, and, and the uh, the communications guys um but going back to billy when he first came in we had the initial press conference when he first signed um and he got two or three of the local radio reporters outside the press office room uh, outside the press conference room when, when when it had finished and just said look guys if you need anything here's my number you just get in touch with me and uh, you know we'll we'll have a good relationship and it'll be absolutely fine he he would he preferred to do that than um you know have things that would were perhaps not accurate broadcast or written about um and that's you know that again goes back to the the kind of old school uh, relationship with local reporters and uh, and managers um and billy remains the last one to do that um again there was a there was a gap you know the, the managers before billy didn't do it either um as i say it kind of finished and you know let's be fair brian clough had one or two local journalists that he was very close to um and then once once Cluffy had, had left and it became Frank Clark, that was when football started to change a little bit. Uh, and Billy was a little bit of a throwback. Um, and he was brilliantly helpful to me. Um, he would often give me his team before um, anybody else. Well, not before the players, but before, before other journalists. Um, and he would help me out with formation and what they were going to do and how they were going to play and give me an insight into things that I could look out for during the game and, and stuff like that. I remember at the time I was a um, coach in inverted commas. I was helping out with a, uh, a my lad's football team, local football team. They were only about under I don't know, sevens, eights, something like that. Um, and, uh, and, and I had a problem with the team. I, I couldn't get there there's a specific thing and i just mentioned it to billy one day and i said you got any ideas how i can sort this and he said yeah do this 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 and this and it worked and it was brilliant and you know so you know we, that kind of thing will, will tell you that we had a, a a very very good relationship um in his in his first spell um and i can't really go into too much detail about the second spell i thought it was very um i, I was taken aback by it um I had been in touch with Billy when it became likely that he was going to come back. And uh, we'd exchanged a couple of text messages. Um, the reason I wanted to do that is because I was actually going on holiday at the time. I was about to set off for a couple of weeks holiday, got in touch with him and said, look, I know it's not sorted yet, but it looks like you're on your way back. If it is, be great to catch up and have a coffee when I get back. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, but I'm not around for your first couple of weeks. 
if it happens soon. And he didn't commit anything. He didn't tell me he was definitely coming, but I got a nice text message back. So, yeah, it'd be good to see you, blah, blah, blah. By the time I got back from my holiday, I walked into a bit of a firestorm and, and just got told by some of the other guys that he's not doing interviews. He's not talking to Radio Nottingham. It's not just Radio Nottingham. He's, he's you know, he's, he's not talking to, to various other organisations. So it was difficult. It was difficult at that point. And from having a very good relationship the first time around, there wasn't a relationship the second time around, um, which I found a shame. Uh, and it led to probably the most difficult year or so of my career covering Forest. Um, and uh, it, it is not something that I would like to repeat. But, you know, we got through it and uh, and, and moved on. It sounds like a real shame because it's obviously the first time sounds like quite a humbling bloke, down to earth, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I blame Robin Chipperfield because he uh, he likes to ask the spicy questions. I'm, I'm obviously only joking, but um, after, before and after Billy, there has been such a flourish of managers, Colin. You must have yeah. had to learn a new name nearly every year, if not every <laughs> six months. I mean, yeah, could you tell us about the relationships that you had with the likes of Philippe Montagnier or Mark Warburton or? Uh, Sabri Lamucci, and I mean, I think there's a there's a topical one which is Martin O'Neill, which obviously at the re- recently in Talksport he's he's gone off on one, and he yeah, now yeah. hates Forest. He says so. Yeah. Could you tell us about any of those relationships before we get into the good stuff? Obviously, with yeah, Steve. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been uh, I've had varied uh, relationships with managers. Some of them you get a little bit closer to than others. Um, some of them like to kind of keep you at arm's length. Um, some of them like to take you into their confidence a bit more than others. Some of them, perhaps from their uh, exterior persona, you might get a different idea of of who might be the ones that kind of keep you at arm's length a bit and who might welcome you in. Um, I think it's fair to say that there's, you know, there's, there's, I've been pleasantly surprised or a little bit, taken aback by some of the, you know, the just the way things have developed. Nothing that actually happens. There's, there's no kind of uh, flashpoint or anything like that. It's just, you know, the way people are, the way human beings are. They're only human beings. Um, and they, each of them have their own individual way of dealing with the press, the local press, the national press. Um, and uh, so therefore you end up with, with different kind of relationships. But um, some of the managers have been really helpful. Billy, I mentioned first time. Paul Hart was really helpful when he first came in. Um, had a good relationship with uh, with Paul again in terms of um, he would often uh, let me know how he was going to play, um, and uh, and I would also get Ian Story Moore was part of his staff, and Ian was really helpful to me uh, because he'd go and watch the opposition the week before. And he'd tell me in detail how the opposition were going to line up. So I, I'd kind of go into each game and I'd sort of know what Forest were going to do. I'd know what the opposition were going to do. And, it, you know, it's really kind of helpful. And when you go, I mean, these days with Forest in the Premier League, that's a little bit easier to find. But in those days, with far less stuff available online and far less websites and far less, you know, stats and all the rest of it that, that are available like they are these days, that kind of relationship was was a godsend. That was that was fantastic. That was very very helpful. Um, uh, Colin Calderwood was was excellent. Had a very good relationship with Colin, um, and you know some of the others. 
Philippe Montagnier never really got too close to, to be honest. Um, but at the time, that was that was partly because uh, you mentioned Robin. Robin was kind of doing more of the interviews in those days, both pre and post match, just because that's the way the week sort of panned out. Um, so I, I didn't really get to know a Philippe Montagnier particularly well. Um, things had changed by the time Sabri, you mentioned Sabri, by the time he came. And um, I, I got on very well with Sabri. Um, uh, he thought he was, um, I thought he was a very intelligent man to listen to. Um, I liked listening to, to Sabri Lamushi. And when he... When he gave one of his, he didn't do it every week. When he, you know, he saved them for special occasions. But when he gave one of his rallying cry, flag waving kind of interviews, um, it, it was it was something to behold. Um, so uh, got on very well with uh, with Sabri. Uh, some of the others who, you know, who, you know, the, God, there's been so many, hasn't there? Um, but <laughs> you, you now kind we of want you to reel them all off in all. <laughs> yeah, no, no way that's going to happen. Um, far too many of those. Um, but you know, there, there was there's there's been others who, as I say, just kind of keep your arms length. I remember Dougie Friedman, Stuart Pearce. They were all just a little bit more arms length, and and you know, wanted to keep the relationship a bit more um, business like, if you like. And there was very little chit chat. There was very little off air chat. Um, and that's fine. You know, nobody has ever been, um, with the exception of that Billy second spell, nobody's ever been really difficult to work with. Um, and uh, I, I it, it's, I suppose in that way, I might, even though there've been, I don't know, 30 odd of them, I, I suppose in that respect, I've been, uh, I've been pretty lucky. Um, but uh, yeah, there've been, obviously with that many people and that many personalities and that many different opinions of the way they should conduct themselves with the press you're obviously going to get different relationships as you go along yeah i don't blame you for not knowing some of them managers because the lifespan of a forest manager back then was <laughs> not, not even a season wasn't it so no. i know adam's touched upon some managers there and, and most of them come under um the fawaz alasawi era i mean what would you kind of say about that era? What what kind of state was the club in? I mean, we've all heard stories through the media, and but mm. can you put maybe a little more meat on the bones? Well, I don't have the inside knowledge of what the club was like yeah. at the time, um, but I can tell you it wasn't particularly uh, pleasant. Um, it was. Uh, I, I I think it's fair to say that. Some of the staff were were pretty stressed about what was going on. Um, I mean, some of the stories that that I kind of hear, I, I'm not going to repeat here because I have no idea if they're true. But um, and, and and that wouldn't be fair. But that you kind of your eyebrows shoot off the top of your head, really, when you kind of. You, I'm sorry, what? Um, and as I say, some of that might not be true. But it was. I, I guess that the the problem with the club was was at the time was that that was the sort of club it had become. And those rumours were circulating and there may well have been no smoke without fire. It may have been that some of them were true and, and or all of them were true. Many of them were true. and, and But you never knew because people could say anything at the time and, and it would never get checked or um, nipped in the bud or anything like that. I guess that's a, that's the sign of the kind of place it was at, at the time. Um, and I think... 
I think the way I, I would sum up the whole thing with with Fawaz and, and the Al-Hazawi era is that Fawaz and the family meant well. I think they had the best interests of the club at heart. I think they uh, tried, but I think they made mistakes. And I think the biggest mistake was not appointing somebody who knows English football and or British football, whatever whatever you want to call it. You could call it European football if you like. Somebody who had the experience of being a football person and then being allowed to get on with doing their job and running the club. And I think the problem that they had was that they could never quite let go. And I kind of get that. They've made a big investment. They, they invested a lot of money. Um, and they wanted to have a, a hand on it and they wanted to make all the decisions about what happens and where that money goes and where it's spent and how much of it is spent on what and what players and all the rest of it. And But they didn't have the experience. And so you ended up with it crying out for, you know, for instance, a chief executive. And then Paul Faulkner came in with his experience, but left again soon afterwards. And that kind of tells you everything really about what, he was allowed to do how much authority he had the fact he, he just didn't last very long and i think had they put somebody in and let and let them do their job and let them get on with it and just trusted somebody with their money effectively and i know that's a big ask because as i say it was a lot of money it was a big investment um but if they'd been able to do that then i think they might have had a little bit more success. And I'm pretty certain it wouldn't have become the, the chaotic circus that it, it it certainly was portrayed to be at the time. You know, yeah, that was um, a very bleak time supporting Forrest. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know about the other two here, but I remember being at the protest for Fawaz, for example, and, you know, that was a dark, dark time for the club. But I suppose that it's once it's obviously we've sort of zipping through timelines here. But obviously, you mentioned that we spoke up Zabri earlier. And I suppose you were probably one of the more unique situations in that when COVID struck and, we, and mm. the football resumed, you were actually in a position where you could go back to games again. Um, yeah, how did totally you find yeah. that? Because that must have been really, really bizarre. Because um, I know, like, it was, it was very weird. It was, like, it was like limited media, the game, the, the players, obviously, and it seemed that was it. But how did you find that experience? And utterly bizarre i mean I, I was fortunate because i was able to see some live football and i know everybody was sat at home desperate to do the same thing um so i i always considered myself uh fortunate um but i mean bizarre weird strange all, all of those things doesn't you know it, it doesn't really do it justice it, it was just so strange and, and i remember um, the first couple of games, they, they resumed Forest, didn't they, at Sheffield Wednesday. That was their first game in sort of mid-June or something like that after they'd finished in March. Um, and I just, what I remember what struck me at the time was that the, the thing about football is that everything builds up to the crescendo at five to three. And then obviously at the city ground as well with Mullofkin Tyre and everything, you get that second crescendo leading up to kickoff. And everything's, a, you know, the whole thing for an hour or hour and a half before is all building up to that couple of minutes. That sort of when they come out the tunnel 
huge cheer. Then they line up. Then you get Mull of Kintyre. And then you, you're ready for kickoff. And it all builds up to that. And I just remember thinking in those just the first couple of games, it really caught me out because it was almost like, oh, right, they're kicking off. It, it was because there was nothing. There was no, there was obviously no music on the Tannoy system because there was no point. There was, there was no um, announcer because there was no point in some games. In some grounds, they did have them, and it left me thinking, who are you announcing to? Um, which just seemed a bit weird. Um, but so there was no builder, and I just, I, I, I distinctly remember at, uh, at Forest. The other thing was that they the away teams were coming out of different areas because they were all getting changed in different areas of, of the ground. Um, but obviously, because there was nobody in, they could just wander around bits of the ground freely. And I just got this distinct memory of that first game, particularly at Sheffield Wednesday. And and suddenly the likes of Joe Lolly and, and that are just appearing from around the stand on the far side. And they're just walking out onto the pitch in dribs and drabs, twos and threes and whatever, because there's no like official walkout because there's no point. And they're just a bit, a bit like a Sunday league game where you just sort of wander onto the pitch when you're ready. And it was like, oh, right, they're all here now. We can kick off. It was such a weird feeling. Um, and, and you know, again, full time and half time. They're, they're those other occasions like the build up to kick off half time. Whistle goes big cheer, booze, whatever it might be, if the home team's losing, whatever. There's some sort of reaction to a half-time and a full-time whistle. And then the music starts blaring out on the speakers and everything. Here, all right, half-time then. And off they go. And off, you know, off they trot to their, their dressing room on the other side of the pitch again. So very, very strange. Obviously very difficult to, uh, well, not very difficult, more difficult to, to kind of, commentate and get across a sense of occasion when there really isn't one um you know to get across a sense of excitement from an empty football ground is really kind of difficult and i think i think the football itself was affected at the time as well i don't think the games were anywhere near the level that they normally are when you have fans in in the ground um and i therefore think that football went downhill a little bit and you probably ended up with different results than you would have done if there was a crowd. I, I still maintain that Forest would have made the playoffs with a crowd. That that uh, Stoke capitulation wouldn't have happened with a full city ground. I just I don't believe it would have done. Um, and yes, and no, I've been there for playoffs with a full ground, and they have capitulated in the same way. But I, I just I, I just didn't see it. I, I always I always think back to just before the lockdown, the game where Forest beat Leeds. I think to go within a point of the top two. And they won 2-0 against Leeds. Tyler Walker knocked in the second at the Trent end. And, and the atmosphere that night, you know, compared to what was happening when the season finished, it just, you know, all you needed to do was look at that Leeds night and think there's no way Stoke would have happened if, if the city ground was full. Now, who knows what would have happened in the playoffs? I'm not sure Forrest were ready to win the playoffs under Sabri, um, but I certainly think they deserved a, a crack at it. Um and of course, it was Steve Cooper Swansea that benefited that night. Um, and uh, whatever happened to him? Yeah. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. You kind, of, <laughs> you kind of took the words out of my mouth because I was about to say, "Would you, do you think would have made the playoffs had crowds been in?" But you obviously confirmed that you think they would have. But yeah. I, I can't imagine the horror you had to endure and I mean this in the most polite way because I thought the appointment at the time of Chris Hewton was actually going to be really good because of his track record with Brighton and Newcastle mm. etc but that season of 
of pure COVID football yeah. must have been yeah. hell on earth for you and, and, and the rest good. of the team. It wasn't good because uh, the, the other, I mean, apart from the fact, you know, I already said, I think the football was affected. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, with the best will in the world, Chris Hewton was, uh, he was a lovely fella, you know, mm -hmm. going back to relationships with managers could never get close to him, of course, because of COVID. Um, literally, I, I, I'm not sure I ever actually shook his hand because I wasn't allowed to, because I had to be, you know, distanced away. And, you know, we had, um, specially improvised kit that when we were doing interviews, I had one microphone on the end of a two meter long pole and I had another microphone at my end of it. And that's how we kind of had to do interviews, like a big fishing rod, telescopic fishing rod that I had to sort of hold out. Um, so, and that's how we did interviews through, through the COVID period. Um, so uh, it, it was, it was all, it was all horrible. And, and who knows with, again, I know that uh, Chris got criticism for, for the way he was playing his football and, and you could see why uh, many thought it was defensive and it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty dull to watch, to be honest, that the football that season, but had he had a crowd in behind him, it might've been different. I know the start of the following season, obviously there was a crowd back and it wasn't. And, and that obviously saw the, the managerial change fairly quickly that season. Um, but you know, I, I often wonder what what a Forest side under Chris Hewton with a crowd in every week might have looked like. Would he have changed the system? Would he have been a bit more adventurous because there was a crowd there urging him to be so and demanding that he was so? We'll never know the answer to that. So the football wasn't great, and then of course in the middle of that season, that full COVID season, that's when. Um, I was stopped from going as well and ended up doing commentary on the, I could still go to home games, but I wasn't allowed to travel out of the area. Um, and so the away games, we had to do commentary off a screen at the BBC studios in Nottingham, uh, which was horrendous, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> um, trying to do, trying to do commentary off, uh, off the TV pictures. It was just awful because you know, quite often, I, I remember one game, I can't remember the game it was, but I, I remember a, a penalty had been given and we had no idea because the, the TV camera people didn't, they, they sort of showed a challenge in the penalty area and then moved away and, and showed something different. They showed reaction from a couple of players who had very little reaction one way or the other. Then they showed, I think, probably a shot of Chris Hewton, who was just being Chris. You know, not no, no no kind of reaction whatsoever, and then and then they showed something else. I don't know, an empty stand or a, a flag or something. I, and by the, this is like thirty seconds of shots of something else happening in the ground. And I had no idea whether they'd given a penalty or not. Turns out they had. But it, it's just you were so reliant on the on the TV cameras being in the right place and you being able to see exactly what was happening. So that was that was awful. That was probably. I don't know, eight, half a dozen, eight games where we, we couldn't go away from home and, and, and they were awful days. Um, and again, you know, the football wasn't, wasn't great anyway. It wasn't great to watch in the flesh, never mind on the, the TV screens. Um, but again, you know, I say all this and, uh, you know, I'm very, very conscious that I was fortunate to be able to see any football live uh, during that time because thousands of people were stuck with those screens that I've just mentioned. And that was their only way of seeing football for the whole time. So um, while it wasn't great, at least I was able to get and, and see some football every now and then. And, and that, you know, is, was, was a, a privilege at the time. 
um, albeit it, it was a very strange experience even to do so. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Oh, we can finally talk about the positive. Uh, <laughs> um, but just what, just one question, which is something I'd like to know on a personal. As, um, as you've got to kind of know Steve Cooper, has he ever mentioned that um, night when Swansea got in the playoffs ahead of Forest, and what his kind of thinking was behind it? Um, I don't think I've ever had a long chat with him about it. I, I think he's sort of. I, I think we've 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 talked about it. He's mentioned it once or twice, but I I, I can't. I wouldn't be able to say I've had a long chat about it, and I know exactly what what his feelings are. I, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't say that for sure. Um, I wouldn't, you know, if I had to guess, I would think he was probably in a bit of disbelief, like we all were. To yeah. be honest, I mean, his team was going and doing what they needed to do, but I'm yeah. sure he was in his wildest dreams, expecting that. Yeah, I think I'd like to ask him, like, did you even believe, like, you just said in your wildest dreams that that could happen because it was. Absolutely, yeah. I don't want to talk. I mean, about I suppose it, you, but... you never know in football, but I mean, it just, yeah, it sends I'm... shivers down my spine. I'm shuddering <laughs> even thinking about that. The, the, that the positive, the positive was it wasn't like it was a yeovil where it was like a full ass at the city ground, and that happened. Yeah. I mean, I just sat yeah. on the, I think the sofa for an hour in disbelief to be able to say it actually happened, yeah, and absolutely. then I yeah, kind I of realised it was forest. So, um, <laughs> obviously, come. A year or so after that, Steve Cooper joins us and there was a bit of talk after Hewton had been sacked. It'd be Chris Wilde, I think, was the other name in the frame. And obviously Steve got the job and we guys knew him as the, you know, the um, England manager who won the Youth World Cup with England and actually done, I think, a reasonable job at Swansea. I know some Swansea fans disagree with that, but you look at where they are now. Um, I mean, what was like your first impressions of Steve when he come in for like it was the Millwall game, wasn't it? I think his first mm -hmm. game. Yeah, yeah, it was Millwall that brilliant cracking effort from Max Lowe, Max Lowe right yeah. on the left hand side, <laughs> yeah. belting goal. Um, <laughs> uh, my first impressions of Steve uh, were ones of being very impressed with the way he uh, he approached things. Um, Again, I think we were still we were we were back in the ground, weren't we? But I think there was still some kind of COVID restrictions around at the time. Um, the reason I say that is because I remember his first press conference wasn't we were all together in a big room like you normally are at a press conference, but we were all in different rooms in the around the city ground, just sort of dotted around. And Steve was brought round to each individual media organisation who all had their own rooms. Um, and we were in a little room that was just off the boardroom in those days, all being redeveloped now as part of the, you know, the, the, uh, the massive change 
um, behind the scenes at the city ground. Um, and uh, and he walked in and he was very pleasant straight away and he was very complimentary straight away. He'd obviously been briefed that I'd been watching Forest for goodness knows how long and he was cracking jokes about seeing a million Forest games and um, all the rest of it. So, um, but very impressed with what he said and, and and I thought it was interesting. We actually, I don't know if you if you noticed or if you heard it, but we um, we we dug this out a few weeks ago when it was his second anniversary, um, and. Uh, we were talking about two years of Steve Cooper. We dug his first interview out, that very first interview from that day when we were in those separate rooms and uh, and had a listen to it. And everything he said, everything he wanted to do, every ambition he had, well, I'm sure not every ambition because I'm sure he's still got plenty more, but the things he was talking about at the time when he first walked in, you listen back two years later and you go, yeah, he's done that. Yeah, done that done that, done that, done that. Now, it wasn't that he walked in and promised promotion. It wasn't that. It was that he walked in and he talked about togetherness and uniting and giving the team, uh, giving the giving the supporters and the city a team to be proud of and all of those kind of things. So there was, you know, it was, it was very realistic ambitions from him. It wasn't, you know, walking in and saying, I'm going to have this team in the Premier League in the next two years. You watch. It was, it was stuff that he knew the team the, the the club needed the supporters needed and he had confidence and belief in himself that he could deliver um and then obviously the results all came with it you know he, he would say in addition to all of that stuff about being proud of the team uh, a team you can get behind uniting together being as one um he said and hopefully results on the way well yeah did that as well tick um and uh and and so you you, you kind of to, to listen back to that two years on was like, wow, what a vision. Um, and he's obviously had uh, great help with his, you know, his coaching staff and, and his support. Um, got the players playing some terrific football. The turnaround was so quick. I mean, the, the Millwall game, maybe not so much, that first one. Um, but the Barnsley away game, the one after that, 1-0 down at half time, and thinking, oh, here we go again. Is this season ever going to get going? And it did. Second half, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And from that point on, they just went up, didn't they? And, it, and um, so, so I think, you know, as I say, very impressed with him from, from day one. And when you consider now that you can listen back to that interview two years on and go, yeah, he just did exactly that two years on and he's done everything he said that he would try to do when he walked into the club on the first day. And I don't think you can ask much more than that. No, you can't hear Greg. No, definitely not. I mean, there are a lot of big moments that year, obviously you mentioned the second half at Barnsley, there's Bristol City as well, the chaos that final minute. There was winning away at Millwall in the like ninety third minute and Graven popped up. That was absolutely hammering West Brom at home on Easter Monday to say no Derby went down. There were lots of little like flashpoints during the season where it looked like we might do it. And then after 120 torturous minutes at the city grounds, including some heroic antics from Bree Samba, you finally got your wish of going to Wembley, <laughs> um, which became like a long-running theme, I believe. And, uh, obviously, everyone else apparently seems to, but you were sort of just left there like watching, like all dressed up with nowhere to go. So how did it feel like when Forrest finally got there that you could actually you know, go down a professional yeah. capacity with the club? Yeah, just incredible. Just, uh, you know, it, it had been so long in coming. Um, and not just for me. I mean, I, I suppose I was the sort of 
the embodiment of it because it just because I'd been there for donkey's years, but that just proved how long it had been since Forest were at Wembley. So there's a, there's an entire generation of Forest fans who've never been, never seen their tape, their team play at Wembley, and and just and and that I think not only that season, well that season and then the following season as well. There were I think one of the highs for me was to see so many of those moments, those first in a generation moments, you know, a first quarter final in a generation in the FA Cup, the following season, a first semi-final in the League Cup in a generation. Um, and and, uh, and obviously Wembley and then being in the Premier League for the first time in a generation and, and all of those things just, um, and, and all of them have just brought such joy. Um, and and I think that was the, that's the, the biggest thing of the actual Wembley experience for me was just seeing the joy on 37 and a half thousand, however many it was, Forest fans um, at that end of the stadium. Uh, that sort of half an hour after the final whistle was just unbridled joy and passion. And the, the, obviously the players were part of it as well. And, uh, and, and Steve Cooper and his coaching staff as well. And it, it was just, it was, it was a fantastic day. Um, but to go back to the, the feeling of actually getting there, it, I, I just, I, I don't think I could quite believe it because there'd been other occasions where, you know, we mentioned the Oval playoff before. Forrest should have got there that year. You know, I'm going into the second leg thinking, going to get to Wembley because we're tuning up from the first leg and we're going to score a couple of goals tonight. And that means the Oval are going to have to score five. They'll never do that. Oh. Um, so, uh, you know, we'd got close. Um, Paul Hart's team at Sheffield United was was close. And, uh, you know, they, football's football, isn't it? And it's all ifs and buts and maybes. But, uh, you know, I'm going way back now. But I, I maintain that if Sheffield United don't get a goal back as quickly as they did with that free kick, um, just as soon as Forrest had gone two ahead on aggregate, on 2 nil up on the night, Sheffield, if they could just hold the lead for another five, 10 minutes, then I'm convinced they'd have got to Wembley that year as well. So uh, they'd been close, but then it, it just, you know, I suppose, you know, naturally, like, like, like all Forest fans, I'm sure, you know, guys your age, we're all thinking probably, are we ever going to get to Wembley? Is there ever going to be some success? Um, and, you know, finally there was, and Wembley itself turned into not the best game, but who cares? Great day, fantastic day. It's a wonderful place to win. It's a horrendous place to lose. Um, and, uh, and and thankfully, Forrest came out on the right side of it. I mean, I think we, we've all got our, our opinion on that day, like, of, of what we thought. I mean, Christian mentioned to Mark Dennison that as soon as... Patrick Stewart appeared on the screen for Huddersfield to read a poem. He knew we'd win. Did you? Did you have the same confidence, uh, Colin? Well, I knew we'd win way before that, Adam. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, ah, confidence. I, I, I think I was confident that they'd win. I, I think, um, in as much as you can or can ever be, because you, you just never know. Uh, Mansfield had gone the the previous day, hadn't they? And and yeah, they got one had, had frozen. And, and had just had one of those Wembley nightmares. And and you just don't know. Notts County during COVID had got to the playoff final at, and, and had played in an empty Wembley, which I'm sure was a, was a, yeah, not a great experience at all. And, and they'd had a similar occurrence against Harrogate in their playoff final where and it, where they, they were probably favourites going in, but you just never know what Wembley's going to do because these players have not played there before. You just don't know what that occasion 
is and, and that ground and that atmosphere and that stadium is is going to do to teams. Putting all that aside, I was confident that if you could put all that aside, if it was just a football match, that Forrest had done the hard bit by seeing off Sheffield United. I thought of the four teams in the playoffs, Sheffield United were going to be the, the most difficult. And so having dispatched them, I was pretty confident against Huddersfield. Obviously, it was very close. Obviously, there were some heart in mouth moments with the potential penalties. Um, but, you know, it, it, it all it all came out all right in the end. Um, and I think the other thing that, that really made me really made me confident. Uh, and this is just sort of on the day, the the sight of Wembley Way uh, in the morning and, and getting on to, towards kickoff just being red. It was just, it was a question of where's all the Huddersfield fans? It, it was just a sea of red and white. And it was almost like a home game. It was almost like turning up over Trent Bridge, but walking up Wembley Way. And, and you know, incredible atmosphere outside the ground, even better inside it. Unbelievable build up with, uh, you know, Forrest playing their, uh, you know, their standard pre-match video on the big screens and Mull of Kintyre being belted out by 37,000 people. It was just everything about the day was was absolutely fantastic, except for the game, which was pretty awful. And nobody cares. Yeah, I was very much that. I felt we was a, a better side than Huddersfield. I was just concerned if we kind of went behind because they were like a bit of a defensive side, weren't they? So when we got that first goal, I know it was an absolutely terrible goal, but you take it, that kind of made me a, a bit less nervous because I thought they've got to kind of come out now, Huddersfield, and we could maybe explore it, but the game was that bad it didn't come <laughs> to that. But and I always laugh at me my partner said the day after when we got back from when she's like, Do you want to rewatch the game? I was like, No. I was like, I watched all the celebrations <laughs> and that, but I says the game was terrible. And yeah, watch the yeah, after that was the best bit. Yeah, but they always are now, aren't they? Playoff games the, the, the money and that on the line's ridiculous and it kind of it does play on the player's mind, doesn't it? But we can now talk about the Holy Grail, which we've all dreamed of, and that's obviously getting to the Premier League. I mean, the first game was Newcastle away. I know you would have um, commentated at Newcastle away in the Championship, but what kind of difference was the noticeable from the Championship to the Premier League straight away, did you notice? Uh, the thing I noticed about that game was the speed of it. Yeah. Um, there, were, there were two things I noticed about that game. You're right, I've been to Newcastle before. Um but obviously, this is the first time that I'd, I'd, well, certainly the first time in a long time. Can't remember if Newcastle were in the Premier League last time Forest were. Um, but so it's the first time in a long time. It's first time in the, in the, obviously, in the modern era of the Premier League. A couple of things I noticed, one of which was how big Newcastle's players were. They're just all units. I mean, it was just extraordinary. It was like, whoa. Um, and then when they kicked off, how quick the game was. It was just like, and and I thought Forest that first day were were a bit, oh, what is this? Um, and obviously their their team wasn't anywhere near sorted, and the squad wasn't anywhere near sorted because we were still early in August, and there was about fifteen million signings still to come before deadline day. Um, uh, so there, you know there were there were a lot of mitigating factors. I, I, I know you know if you if you look at the bench that day on the opening day of the Premier League and you compare it to, you know, a year later, for instance, the opening day of this season, then 
it's it the the uh, the transformation is remarkable I, I think we kind of expected that because even you know in the build-up to the playoff final I, I remember saying it's potentially history defining it's a history defining game it's not just a season defining game it's, it's club history defining that's how big those playoff matches are to, to get into the Premier League um, and obviously we've seen the changes that the club has undergone now and and, and the, obviously it's taken a lot of signings and I know the other fan fans of the other clubs sort of look at Forrester's you know, maybe a little bit of a basket case for all those signings that they're making. But the fact that they stayed up in that first season um, after so long out, after 23 years out, to, to come back into the Premier League with pretty much zero structure behind it, um, you know, from, from what was it, seven weeks from playoff final to opening day of the Premier League. So you've got seven weeks to, to turn around 23 years of pretty much obscurity, if we're honest, into being able to compete in the Premier League. And to do that, you've got to put so much in place off the pitch, never mind on the pitch, um, plus blending, as Steve Cooper did in that first Premier League season, you know, blending all of those new players, finding a way to play. Um, obviously, they were going to be very... Um, very low moments in that in that first season um, but to keep them up it was an extraordinary achievement I think because not only not only that bridging of the gap of 23 years but all uh, and, and gelling all of those players but you throw into that an injury list that would have crippled any any side any season in any division and they still come through that it was almost a question of whatever you throw at us we're gonna be okay we're gonna get through it somehow we'll find a way to get through it and they did, and full credit to them. And I, and I think I, I quite often ask this question, um, and I asked it of Steve after they'd stayed up last season, and, and I, I think he ducked it and just said, well, it's for other people to decide. Um, but I, I think it's a bigger achievement to stay up that first season than it was to get them up, even though they came from the bottom of the table, and, and we all know the story of that championship season, the fantastic football that was played. Um I think it was a bigger achievement to keep them in the division the way he did last season. Yeah, I'd agree because um, I don't watch a lot of EFL football now, thank God. But do you know when you're watching the Premier League so often and then you do watch a championship game, I'd probably take Leicester Leeds out of the equation, which I watched a couple of weeks ago. But you can clearly see the level, the difference. And like you said, Colin, the speed yeah. of the game. Yeah, it's the speed. It's it's, it's almost everything about it. I mean, it, yeah. you know, you, you're looking at, it is it, often in the champion, you know, during the championship days, we're talking about the gulf between the championship and the Premier League. And you can see it. it's, it's virtually a different sport. It, it, yeah. it really is. It's, yeah. it, it's so it's so fast. It's it's so uh, punishing, if you like, um, in terms of how physical it has to be, how mentally switched on you have to be, how every mistake is pounced on. And, you know, in the championship, you could get away with a couple of errors and 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 it not cost you anything because the opportunity that that is created by your error is not taken because the championship strikers are not quite good enough to take it. Premier League, bang, goal. It, every single mistake you make is punished usually by a goal or by winning a set piece that will lead to a goal or something like that. So you have to be so mentally switched on. Um, it's ruthless. It's hard. I always thought, I'll be honest, I kind of I'd become a little bit okay with the championship 
sort of over the years, you kind of thought, oh, that Premier League, that's a bit fantasy football stuff. Who needs that? This is more like proper English football in the championship. And the moment you have a taste of real Premier League, live Premier League football, not just watching two teams that you're not that interested in playing on the telly, once you see it live in the flesh and you're part of it and you've got the whole atmosphere and the scrutiny and the pressure and everything that goes with it, it's you wouldn't swap it for the world. No, I completely agree. And speaking of mistakes, we can take Sunday, for example, Forrest made three mistakes against West Ham and conceded three goals. And yeah. that, that, that's just the manner of the league. Like, yeah. And um, I, 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 it's just funny hearing you talk, actually, because I was very much the same. Like, I was sort of like, oh, you know, the championships, where it's at, it's the most competitive league in Europe and all this kind Get of more stuff. more games. Yeah, more games. And like, I always used to be of the ilk as well. Like, oh, what are you moaning about, Klopp? Like, moaning about all these games. Like, you know, what, it's only a 38 game season. We're playing only 50 games in a championship. It's only when you get there and you realize just how quick, how intense, how physical it yeah. is. It's like, you said it is almost a different sport compared yeah. to the championship. And, and, and there's no way you could play, you couldn't play that many games. That, as no, the, you, there's no, no way, way you could have a 24 team Premier League because no. it would just be exhausting. You just couldn't play that many games at that pace at that level at that standard it everyone had the injuries that we had much. last year yeah, yeah exactly yeah uh moving on to this season before we uh think hop on back to adam i guess like obviously we are in a much better place which is nice mm-hmm. and it does seem as that now with less more than seven weeks to sort of get a club together and to get things <laughs> in place is starting to bear fruit somewhat how are you feeling about this season from what you've seen so far obviously we look a lot more competitive, even the games we've lost. It's apart from Liverpool game and City game, we can kind of excuse those. It's all been by the odd goal, pretty much. Whenever Forest have lost, like we see much more in games, much more competitive, much more like much more at home, if you like, rather than an outsider yeah. sort of looking to break in through the front door and stay in. How do you sort of see it this season? I kind of agree with that. I think that they're starting to look a little bit more comfortable, um, but. You know, I use that <laughs> I use that term advisedly because you can never be in the Premier League. Um, you can never, I think, feel comfortable. Um, certainly not a club in Forest's position. Steve Cooper's right. You know, he keeps talking about the fact that this is this is still only the second year back. And okay, they're after, they, they've done that great job, as I said earlier, of keeping them up. But second season is is still, you know, there's still that gap that they're bridging from 23 years out of it. Um, uh, and and I think that you know they undoubtedly strides are being taken, huge strides are being taken. Um, but I talked to before the West Ham game. I talked to Steve Cooper about away performances, and he was kind of having none of it. You know this this business. Okay, yeah, well we're a bit better, but we're still not winning. You know he's he, he's he's very much focused on. He thinks he actually used the phrase. I think people have been a little bit too positive about our away form this season because we've been more in games, um, because we're still losing them. Still not, they're still not getting enough wins. I mean, obviously they've got the one at Chelsea, which was a fantastic uh, day, fantastic performance, and a real example there of what the Premier League's like, of of how switched on you have to be and how you have to win every single individual battle for the 90, 100, 105 minutes, whatever it may be. That was a good example of it at Chelsea. Um, and and it was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting for them. And, and that's what that's what the Premier League is like. So I, I think um obviously he was really angry on on Sunday. 
with uh, with the defending having got themselves 2-1 up into a winning position again. I think that's a big issue that they need to sort, particularly away from home, is, is that sort of mentality uh, of getting themselves into good positions as they have been. Um, you know, 2-0 up, but albeit very, very early at Manchester United, end up with nothing controversial, I know, with VAR and those decisions that United got. So I thought they were maybe a little bit unlucky not to get anything then. Um, but, you know, they... Yeah. It's it's fine being good or better than they were last season, but they still need more points away from home. And and I think that the, the fact that they were so close to well, so close they were half an hour away still. But having turned it round from that horror moment three minutes in on Sunday to get two one up away from home and look the better side at that point um, and look as if they deserve to be in front at that point and to be a strong-looking, solid-looking, away-from-home Premier League side, to then capitulate again to two set pieces. You can understand the anger. Um, so, uh, it's still very much a work in progress, but the progress is there. All the stats are pointing in the right direction. Um, I think you look at the the quality of, of the Forest side this year, um, and you can see a massive improvement. That midfield three looks very strong, very solid. Maybe it wasn't Nico Dominguez's day on Sunday, but generally he's been outstanding. Sangare seems to be getting better and better, as I think we all thought he would. Mangala looks, at, you know, you talk about being at home. Maybe Mangala didn't look at home last season in the Premier League midfield. Boy, does he this season. Um, he's taken great strides and great steps. And I think he's kind of a bit indicative of Forrest, really, uh, you know, taking strides, looking more at home, looking a little bit more comfortable, but still not comfortable by any stretch of the imagination, because there's still a lot of hard work to do. Um, yes, they've got more points than they had this time last year. But I know that Steve Cooper, like all the fans, would look at the ones that have got away so far. He would look at Luton. He held his hands up for those. Um, albeit he wasn't held by individual errors, but he held his hands up and said substitution that did it. Um, so there's a couple of points that have gone. I think he'll look at Crystal Palace, the nil-nil, where Forrest were excellent and by far the better side, created a load of good chances, whereas Palace had one decent one. Um, I think he'll look at that and say he should have won there and didn't. Um, so that's probably another couple of points that he'll be counting up that maybe they should be better off at the table, plus the couple against Luton, plus at least one, if not three, from from Sunday. And you st you know you add those points, and then you really do see a massive improvement year on year. And I think probably the one thing that that is is perhaps a bit upsetting for Steve Cooper so far this season is that his team has probably played well enough to get more points than they have got and that's despite that really difficult start away from home with all of those big teams that they've played um so i think that i think the signs are, are pointing in the right direction i think everything is is looking still on an upward curve yet again um for the third season in a row um, but they just need to get a few results just to kind of give them what they deserve i think that's 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 probably the one thing I'd say so far this season is that despite the improvements, they still haven't quite got what they've deserved to get. And that's, I you know, I'm not, I'm not, that's it, only their fault because they get into those positions and then are unable to, to kind of finish the game off. So that's where the next improvement I think needs to come.
I think I think it's just teething problems, isn't it? I mean, I I I don't see a game this season where we've been completely carved open for a goal yet. We've just been the uh, masters of our own downfall yeah, in, in that exactly. respect. For me. Yeah, individual but, um, errors, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and and you look at that. You look at Murillo as as an example of where Forest are going in terms of their players. I mean, he's just phenomenal. Um, to to see the way he is a young Brazilian player has, has come in, young lad, no English, moved from one side of the world to the other, playing in the most difficult league in the world, and he's just like it's like he's knocking a ball around on a Sunday morning park. It's just it's extraordinary the way he's taken to. I just hope his injury isn't too bad um, that he got at uh, at West Ham. But you know that's just another example. I mentioned the midfield earlier, but that's just another example of the kind of steps that Forrest are taking. Yeah, um, I hope you don't mind, Colin. We've got a few more questions. I don't know how how you press for time or anything. Go on, um, yeah. But um, away. I, I, I hopefully you you pick up our pod as as something to maybe listen to on on the way to games or whatever. But if you if you do, you'll you'll notice that you heavily feature in our intro. Uh, and something that I can't not ask is the evolution of the Steve Hodge. Yes, because that's, <laughs> that's that's a massive feature in our intro because. Um, <laughs> You have to like set his uh, like uh, monitor his levels and his peaks at a certain uh, <laughs> at a certain uh, number so he doesn't like burst your eardrums when he when he celebrates. <laughs> no, he's, no, he just he just bursts my eardrums. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great person to have on Cocoms. His knowledge is is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky with with the Cocoms that that we have. Um, I, I've, I've been lucky all through my career, to be fair, because you go back to to John McGovern, who was outstandingly good um and and then obviously got his job with the club full time so we had to move on and and the three guys that we've got now um uh, they just know their stuff you know and um and and yeah, hodgie particularly is um well he's passionate isn't he let's put it that way <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you if you uh, i'll have to try and find it and send it you in an email but someone made a compilation of all of his goal all celebrations his from last season which yeah. is absolutely phenomenal <laughs> yeah he's uh he, he likes a goal there's uh to steve um but yeah he's great to work to to work with they all are um you know they all um oops sorry that's a schoolboy error isn't it leaving that on um they uh they, you know they 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 all they do their homework they they come with their notes preparation you know i see other people um other you know pundits summarizers working for for other areas and stations around the country who just sort of turn up and you know just grab the mic talk for a bit and go again these guys uh you know it, it means something to them to to be part of it um and uh and i think it's fair to say that those three have enjoyed the last couple of seasons as well i don't think hodgie's yeses were quite as loud when we were in the conference room mind you there weren't many to actually have in those days <laughs> didn't get many goals did we in those days um but uh, no he, he didn't like that period very much but uh yeah he loves it absolutely loves it all three of them do is um yes, it's extra loud against Villex. We always put me and Mrs. always put you on in the car on the way home from home games, and we were both laughing to ourselves because it was like next level, yes, um, <laughs> for, the, for the Villa game. Was that just because you know it was kind of a big result for us, or does big someone, result? Someone replied to me on Twitter, there was a bit of an issue between him and Villa, and I was like. I don't think that's right, but I think it's. Uh, he he didn't he didn't have the best time at Villa as a player. Let's put it that way. Um, so I I think he's um, there. Might have been a little. There might have been a little 
extra incentive for an, an extra loud yes for for the Villa game. But you're right. I mean, it was a, it was a crucial game for Forest as well. Um, that was a big big win. Unfortunately, they couldn't follow it up with any points at West Ham, which would have been uh, perfect. But that was a huge win that day for for Forest. I think they really needed that one. I mean, did you guys just want to finish with a quick fire question? Should I start them off? I've and... got one more to ask. Are you going for one and, more? Uh, yes. Sorry, Colin. Um, I appreciate this one may require you not to be as modest either. But obviously for several generations, at least two, you are referred to as the voice of Nottingham Forest. How does that make you feel on a personal level? Um, uh, humbled. Um, it's uh, uh, honoured as well, to be to be absolutely honest, um, and lucky, I suppose. Um, lucky that I've been able to do the job that I love for as long as I have. Um, and uh, fortunate that, you know, people seem to kind of enjoy what I do, which is great because that's what I'm there for, really. Um, and... Um, as I say, very kind of honoured to be linked, if that's the right word. But you know, in in any way with with the football club, I mean, it's it's beyond. You know, talked earlier about beyond wildest dreams, beyond my wildest dreams to to have done the job that I've done for as long as I have at the club I have. You know, when I first started out, the idea that I could even get to the city ground once to report or commentate or whatever it may be on forest was just a you know that was that was a dream so to do it the thousands of times that i have over as long as i have it's it's kind of hard to put into words really um it, it is kind of the dream job um and uh i suppose the other thing to say is that i kind of feel lucky that i still love it as much today as i did when i first started um I think the last two years has helped with that a bit. I don't think I could have stuck much more in the in the conference room um, <laughs> with with that sort of football, and and I wouldn't have wanted many more seasons in League One, if I'm honest. Um, but the uh, certainly the last couple of seasons have been a, an absolute joy to cover, um, and, uh, and and it's been a thrill to be a part of it. I mean, not not to to blow smoke up your backside, Colin, but I think this is the greatest compliment I could probably pay you, and I'm sure many Forest fans will agree with me. But after a game and we win, the first thing I think is I can't wait to hear Colin and and whoever's co-coms. I can't wait to hear it because it just that it just makes it that much better. I'm so glad like the club now do a thing where when we win they put your commentary with it because it just makes yeah. it that much better because it comes from the heart as such. But before we get fin before we finish and, and sign off, we do have a few like kind of quick fire questions we wanted to ask. Maybe some stuff that people may may not know about yourself involving Nottingham and and, and Forest as such. But um, I think Reese wanted to start off first, didn't you? Yeah, I'll go first. And so <laughs> something like a staple of yourself is before the game, you always go through the teams' kits. So usually, obviously, red shirts, white shorts, red socks for Forest. Do you prefer that kit or would you prefer as in all red? Uh, uh, red and white for me. Red and white. Red and white for me. Um, and uh, if you were to push me on an away kit, yellow and blue, like it was in the European days. Traditionalist. Um, I am very much a traditionalist. Yellow shirt, blue shorts. Um, the, only, the only other away kit that I really liked down the years 
I'm sorry, they're supposed to be quick fire, aren't they? I'm going off on one again. The other one I really liked was um, this would have been probably late 80s um, was when they basically did the reverse. So they had red, white, red, and then the and they had the reverse for the away kit. So it was white, red, white. Um, I would sure that would have been late eighties. It was a it was a Shipston's kit, um, and I can picture the likes of Brian Rice and Nigel Clough in it and that sort of thing. Um, so I like that as well as an option. But yellow and blue for me always for away kits. Did you did you not love the high vis kit, Colin? <laughs> well, yes, um, but not when at first. I, I was probably like many. Not when I first saw it. When I first saw it, I thought, what is that? But then the results got so good in it. <laughs> there were so many good nights away from home in that, that it was like, oh, yeah, now that's a kit. <laughs> uh, what ground that you've been to does the best food for the press? Uh, Tottenham. I, would I, mention I, Tottenham. I, said, I said you say Tottenham. Yeah, Tottenham, I had a yeah, yeah. Tottenham were very, very good. Um Last season, maybe this one will come as a bit of a surprise, but I would probably put behind Tottenham last season, Southampton. Mm-hmm. Southampton were very good. I mean, different levels. Tottenham was just like, it was almost like a, a buffet banquet. It's incredible. <laughs> um, but, uh, and Southampton did a curry, curry and rice oh. um, in a cardboard container. So it, it's kind of like <laughs> it was chalk and cheese, but... The curry was fabulous. It was really nice. Um, so, uh, so maybe a little bit of a surprising one in there, but uh, but Tottenham were the best. And we won that night as well. <laughs> yeah, Southampton. Yeah, it was a good night, that. Uh, Reese has put this controversial one in. We put it to Mark Dennison. Goal music, yes or no? No. <laughs> no. Let the fans get on with it. Goals should be spontaneous, and reactions to them should be spontaneous. My um. My last one was um, something on a personal level. Have you got um, a restaurant of choice in Nottingham? That's your favourite? Oh, blimey. I'll put uh, you on the spot. <laughs> um, oh, I think it really depends what mood I'm in for what sort of food I'm in. After a forest win, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, away from home, the uh, the fast food joints are, are quite often hit on the way on the way yeah. back for a, a celebratory meal. Favourite service station. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did Cambridge services both ways on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> coffee on the way down and some fast food on the way back. Um, I I couldn't really pick a a, a favourite restaurant. Uh, there are there are too many in Nottingham. We're too spoiled, aren't we? We are. Yeah, agree. What's your favourite grounds, aside from Wembley, the city grounds, to go to? Um, I think I'm going to say Tottenham again. Um, really impressed with Tottenham last season. Obviously, it was our first visit, um, and I would I would say it was it was certainly on a par with Wembley, if not potentially even a little bit better than Wembley. Um, thought the facilities were excellent. Um, obviously, it's fairly new at the moment as well, but kind of compare it to an Arsenal or uh, Manchester City, who are also sort of fairly newish um, stadia. Um, I, I thought it was, it, it's a step up from those. Um, so yeah, very, very, very impressed with, with Tottenham all round, both in terms of food and facilities. And I would say that's, that's probably the, the, the best stadium 
that I was at last season in the Premier League. Uh, last one from me, Colin, and this might be a difficult one, but what do you think is your favourite goal you've commentated on? <laughs> um, hmm. Well, I mean... There must be a few. <laughs> yeah, there are a few. I mean, there's there's Wembley, albeit it wasn't a great goal to commentate on. Um, but that season, there were a few. That season, there were a few contenders. Um, I, I think you, you obviously you always instinctively turn to um, goals that won something, goals that became very famous. So you look at promotion days, and I know there haven't been that many of those over the years, uh, but obviously that leads you to, to playoffs. Um, you look at derby days, I suppose, um, against Derby, Ben Osborne last minute against Derby, particularly enjoyed the Lee Camp penalty save, also in the last minute at Derby. Um, that was fun. Rob Earnshaw scoring his fifth against Derby as well. Um, so they're obviously quite big moments. Um, but so, so, so you kind of automatically go to those big moments. But actually, I think there were there were a few moments in that promotion season that were just incredible, like the Jack Colback volley um, against West Brom. That was just absolutely extraordinary, like the turnaround at Bristol City um, with the Lyle Taylor goals. Um, but I think my favourite goal of that season and probably one of my favourite goals ever to commentate on because of the way the move swept forward and you could see what was happening and, and you could... As a commentator, you could match your voice to the rhythm of the move as it was happening. And there's something a bit special about that was Sam Surridge's third goal in his hat-trick against Swansea that season when he leant back from the inside left channel and curled it into the top corner. Um, that was brilliant. That was a fantastic goal to commentate on um, and has to go down, I think, as, as one of my favourites ever. I think that was in our goal of the season, wasn't it, that, that year when we did the pod review, wasn't it, Reese? Yeah, me and Adam were sat right behind that. And as soon as it, when he went to curve it, it was like, as if it started was outside the post, didn't it? Like <laughs> yeah, it was, as if it yeah. was like going to go in the upper tier of the trend yeah. and it just went straight to top yeah. corner. I was like, wow. But it was one of those moves where they just got everything right. You just yeah. think, pass it now, pass yeah. it now, do it now, do that, do that. And everything you thought, they did at exactly that moment. And then it, he had that to finish it off with. Just yeah. brilliant moment. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I still miss James Garner in midfield for us. Uh, can't, <laughs> yeah. can't, can't compliment the passes enough either. It was a great way. Um, Colin, uh, we can't thank you em uh, enough for giving us your time and everything. Um, is there anything you'd like to promote? I know BBC uh, are doing um, the Shut Up and Fo uh, Show More Football podcast. I suppose that's something yeah. to promote. Yeah, that would be that would be great if uh, if anybody fancies to listen to that. If you haven't found it yet, David and I just doing this basically chatting about football, and uh, we have the odd special guest every now and then. Had Ian Story more on for a long time a couple of weeks ago. That one's still very much available. I think the, the pods stay there for for ages now. They never used to, but now they do. Uh, so yeah, it's called "Shut Up and Show More Football." One of Cluffy's lesser known quotes, um, and uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely. If you want to give that a listen, that would be great. Thank you very much, and um, and thanks for having me, guys. I've enjoyed chatting. Yeah, thank you no so problem. much. Thank you, thank you very much, um, guys. If you've enjoyed, uh, sorry,
if you've enjoyed the pod, obviously drop a like. We're, it'll be on YouTube as well. Subscribe. Uh, show some love to Colin in the comments. Um, we look forward a three o'clock kickoff, Colin, for the next one. Brighton <laughs> yeah. at home. We'll be, you'll be, we're, we're, we're all very pleased to know about this. It's, it's <laughs> like, especially with with the like going going sooner nowadays, it makes it a bit more uh, measurable, I guess, in in some sort of circumstance. But no, thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you in the next one when we preview uh, the Brighton game and come on, you Reds. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talksport Fan Network. Talksport, powered by fans. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.